and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Okay, Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. This is Tim and Friends for March 2nd, 2022. Jesse Rubinoff backs to his dancing ways after winning our NFL picks against the spread, but losing our Super Bowl props head-to-head matchup. Mm. Seems kind of unfair. Like, you won the bigger deal. Like, the year-long picks against the spread is way more important than the Super Bowl props, and yet there you are having your dancing taken away from you. No, no. The, The picks against the spread was a team effort. We were trying to help people along over the course of the NFL season. That is true. And then, you that know. That is true. That's what, we, that's what we do here right. on this show. And then maybe got a little cocky and made it into a competition <laughs> for the Super Bowl. And then what happened, happened. So, whatever. I'm so glad that when I was on my heater at the start of the year <laughs> that I included you in it. I told you it wasn't us against each other. Yeah. And then when I went super cold, I mean, by the end, I was colder than Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, I mean, like, let, we, we have to look at this season as a whole and say that it was probably the most difficult NFL betting season maybe ever, considering the circumstances. So I think we, we fared okay, all things considered. I, I like that excuse. Yeah, He's Ruby. Go. I'm still Timmy from the block. Today, Elliot Friedman, Ken Rosenthal, Megan Cheka, and you are my friends. Kenny Reed is actually a contractually obligated friend, and he will join me in the second hour. So he's separate. Has that ever me. been confirmed? Contractually obligated. Yeah. Like he says, have we looked time, at his contract? Yeah, like it could be, you know, maybe well, it's. He brings his trophies. Maybe we can ask him to bring his contract. Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> <laughs> Jam packed show as we lead you to the Leafs and Sabres on Scotiabank Wednesday night hockey, at least on Sportsnet. I know you're watching me on Sportsnet 360 because there's a soccer game right now. Liverpool leading Norwich 2 1 on Sportsnet. But for those of you on 360, we'll just go. Are the Leafs the best team in Canada? How about the Flames, Daryl Sutter? Shh. Oilers got an important two points last night. And what the hell happened in Winnipeg? All things we will examine today, as well as the continued fallout surrounding Russia's invasion of Ukraine as it pertains to hockey and the football that we're watching on Sportsnet right now. Crazy story surrounding Chelsea. We'll get you the particulars a little later on. But some pretty crazy dilemmas facing the folks who run sports and the world for that matter, but I won't profess to know enough about the latter. I do know that our entire crew has worked their ass off to bring you the next two hours of edutainment that will include plenty of hockey talk and the Raptors sweeping a home-and-home with the Brooklyn Nets. And it all starts with the dancing Jesse Rubinoff and first things first, so let's put on a show, Mathieu Dandenon. That's one of your favorites. I, I feel like you've used that before. But I just, I do like saying Mathieu Dandenon. Yeah. Yeah. It feels well, good. Yeah. You've, you've flexed your French abilities on the show before. <laughs> yeah. When I live For translated. Instance, that was one of my highlights. A news conference that I wasn't sure that I could yeah. live translate, but we got through Very it. Very impressive. And one of the highlights of the year, which we are actually coming up on, which is crazy. A full year yeah, of shows. Yeah, year of this show. And already nominated by the Canadian Screen Awards <laughs> for the best show in Canada. Life comes at you fast. All right. <laughs> Spring training is uh, supposed to be underway. We should be showing you pictures of green grass, palm oh, trees, and yeah. sunburnt snowbirds. Yes, sir. Yeah. But instead, we've got Rob Manfred in a parking lot in this protest in New York. A protest. Man, fraud! 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 Man
Is that like messy fraud? <laughs> is that kind of sort of like messy Man fraud? fraud? I can't find it. So I guess you know who, uh, who those people think is responsible for this. Uh, so after by the, the way, those people are employed by Barstool, Barstool and yeah. they're making their own content. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, let's be honest here. Let's put that into context. Fair to point out. Uh, I'm a big fan of content. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after the commissioner announced the cancellation of the first two series of the season Fraud. yesterday, Fraud. live on this show, as a matter of fact, the Players Association responded with a news conference of their own. We played you a little bit yesterday, but it was ongoing as we went off the air. Yeah. So in case you missed it, here's some more of what executive director Tony Clark and his beard had to say, and he did not hold back. Players want to play. We, we all know that. But the reason we're not playing is simple. A lockout is the ultimate economic weapon. Let me repeat that. A lockout is the ultimate economic weapon. In a $10 billion industry, the owners have made a conscious decision to use this weapon against the greatest asset they have the players. The game has changed. The game has been manipulated. Players have been commoditized in, in a way, commoditized in a way that, that is really hard to explain in the grand scheme of things. The game has, has continued to be damaged and is again damaged today as a result of a lockout that was started by the league, as a result of a deadline that was set by the league. And if you love baseball the way players do, if you love baseball the way fans do, uh, it's hard not to be sad with where we are on March 1st, 2022. So you want me to grow that beard? Is that what you were telling me yesterday? Can you? I, I don't know. I don't know if I could. Like, I know that I, I shot it down early in yesterday's show when you brought up the beard. Yeah. And smash my own beard. Is that what you want, though, for me to attempt to grow this big white beard? Like, I, it seems like it would Tony be a, a journey to get there. Like, <laughs> I don't know if we can make it through, like, all the way to get to that point. Yeah. Might be worth a shot. Remember, but. I was talking about just fermenting it. I would yeah. have to just ferment it white. White. That <laughs> is. It's honestly. It's one of the better beards I've seen. All right. Yeah. So, so, so let's get to this part. What, what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> that might take a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like like another full year. Do you like the beard? Friends. Yeah, I like it. You like his beard? I think it's incredibly well manicured. Like you see the top, mm -hmm. like the top of the beard where he, he has chosen to cut it I, off there. I do believe like there is, there is a level of distinction that I'm not sure I have reached yet in my life that could go with a beard like that, a white beard like that. Do you think it's a tactic? I don't know how long Tony Clark has had that because he looks very wise. Very wise. Oh, so yeah, maybe no, it's I think like it's credibility. Yeah. No, I think it's a look, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I asked, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but we had Blake Murphy in the studio. Yeah. And I asked if I had enough salt and pepper in this beard um, that made me feel distinguished and or if I had distinguished myself enough in this career to go with a salt and pepper beard. And he said, no, just, just for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> He was very blunt about it, too. Like it happened very quickly. Um, so you've had a day now to digest another work stoppage in baseball. Uh, have your feelings changed at all? No. No, not at all. They haven't. Uh, I still feel like these are billionaires who have lost touch with the average Joe and don't really understand how much their 
product will be hurt by this. Yes, they can allow a bunch of guys to stick needles in their asses and uh, hit home runs at a ridiculous pace to help bring people back to the game. I believe the young stars, including the one sending out this tweet and Mike Trout, who's not so young anymore, will also help bring people back to the game as we bring people back to our show. Very nice. I want to welcome those who watched Norwich and Liverpool. Liverpool 2-1 winners. They will move on to the uh, FA Cup quarterfinals. We'll have highlights a little later on in the show. But to continue our thought as we're talking about uh, the lockout in baseball, um, I don't know that they will recover the same. Listen, every time one of these work stoppages happens, you lose a chunk. And there is no reason for baseball to have fired another round into their own foot. And this is what they have done yet again. They've done it a couple times. And I'll be honest with you, in 2020, during the pandemic year, there was a a six-shooter, and they fired like three rounds into their own foot for no reason, Mm -hmm. bickering back and forth. And this is the same thing. Does it mean that baseball is going to go away? No. But does it mean baseball is going to have to mend some fences, it's going to have, like, there's just too many options these days for people not to say, you know what, love, peace, and hair grease, I'm out. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to become a little bit more niche than it already is becoming, I think. And in 2022, even more so than the last work stoppage, there's so many things that can occupy our time now that, like, you don't have to come back to baseball. When it's gone, you'll find something else to fill that void, and then you might never come back. To your point. There was um, like 50% of people who were locked down weren't bored because they had so many options. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> like, we're we so were spoiled. literally, as a human race, almost to a man locked down at some point or another and still found the 100-channel universe that's turned into a 1,000-channel universe, which has <laughs> turned into a 100,000-channel universe. Entertaining. Yeah. I haven't even mentioned podcasts yeah. yet. It's overwhelming. There's a lot of things that you can fill your time with other than baseball. It's very overwhelming, I have to say. Uh, Ken Rosenthal later to talk more about the lockout in Major League Baseball, but we shift to hockey. The Leafs will look for their fourth straight win tonight as they host the Sabres on Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey. Peter Mrazek will start in consecutive games for the first time this season, meaning Jack Campbell will sit in two straight for the first time. Sheldon Keefe explained the decision earlier today. Well, he's earned it, I think, is, is the first thing. You know, it's no secret that Jack stumbled here a bit of late, and, and uh, we have been talking about getting Peter more time in the net. Um, we think uh, the timing everything just really makes sense. Is this the right move for the Leafs to go with Mrazek? Uh, apparently it's like Liverpool rotating keepers in the FA Cup. Uh, this is where we're at here on this edition of Tim and Friends. I, I think the Leafs need to figure out what they have in Mrazek. And I think Campbell could use the break. Like, I think this is the perfect situation for Selden Keefe. Let's not forget Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs have paid this guy, what, $3.8 million yeah. per season for this and the next two? Like, he hasn't been able to show any of that. Never got a prolonged look. So Peter Mrazek goes into the net and you get a prolonged look at him. And because of it, Campbell gets a breather. Uh, let's not forget, like, Jackie's career high in starts was 25 coming into this year. He's already made 37 starts. Like, I feel like this is the right call at the right time for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I do believe that winning the division means something, and I don't know if you've looked, but if they win tonight, uh, they can move into a tie 
with the Lightning mm-hmm. for first in the Atlantic. I really think that they want to finish first in the division and avoid the Lightning and Panthers in the first round. But if you're going to get a chance, game 54 for a back-to-back start for Peter Morazic, yeah. who you're paying $3.8 million to, is probably a good time to do it. Yeah, you've been making the point about Jack Campbell maybe needing some rest. And, and I feel, um, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I feel like this is, this is more of a break than like trying to uh, stir competition in the crease. They're just looking for any of the two guys to, to just grab, grab it and run with this it. and yeah. run with it. Without a doubt. But when you pay a guy almost $4 million, you expect more than you've gotten from Peter Morazic, but you've got to give him the chance. I know he's been injured. I know there have been mitigating circumstances surrounding what's gone on with Morazic thus far this year. But now's the time. Give him a couple starts in a row. Throw Jack in there once in a while. He needs the break. It's obvious, whether it's mental or physical, it's obvious he needs the break. And the Leafs can figure out what they actually have in Peter Morazic. I'm okay with this completely and utterly. I, I know that they paid him what they paid him. But even if he goes on a heater here, would you be confident going into the postseason, potentially in a first-round series against Andre Vasilevsky, knowing that the, the goaltending matchup would hey, be Liverpool Peter FA Morazic? Cup, let's go back and forth. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be comfortable. Yeah. It's but, just, yeah. but listen, the, the regular season for a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs is about figuring out what you have. And sometimes you lose track of that because you're so caught up in the game to game. This is the right thing for the Leafs to do at the right time. And if Marner and uh, Matthews stay on, speaking of heaters, if they stay on the heater that they've been on over the last little while, it won't matter, especially tonight against the Buffalo Sabres. Like, these two dudes are putting up ridiculous numbers. Marner leading the NHL in points since January 15th with 35 in 18 games. I repeat, 35 points in 18 games, and Matthews is right there with them. Those big guns are hot, and the Calgary Flames also hot. They've won 12 of their last 13 games after a 5-1 win over the Wild last night. It won't slow down. The Flames now have a five-point cushion on top of the Pacific Division standings. But don't ask Daryl Sutter if they're the best team in Canada. Well, if you'd asked that three months ago, you wouldn't ask that question three months ago. No. <laughs> so, it was, so the two best teams in Canada uh, still by far are Edmonton and Toronto. It's not even, it's not even close, to be quite honest. Edmonton was a favorite in the summer, and they and they, they've added players, and and uh, well, they're they're the best team for sure. I mean, that's 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 public knowledge. Uh, I love Daryl Sutter yeah. as much as I love the saw in the middle. Of- <laughs> the saw is so good. What's kind going of uncut on there? the saw. Yeah, that's cut. There's, there's a <laughs> press conference going. Literally, on. the flames yeah. are hot. <laughs> it's cut. And Very it's nice. cut. Yes. Uh, so dripping with sarcasm, obviously from Daryl Sutter. But mm-hmm. who's the best team in Canada right now? Yeah. Right now, the best team in Canada is the Calgary Flames. I believe if we are defining it as who would go furthest. In the postseason, I would point to the Calgary Flames because they can defend better than anyone else in Canada right now, and I still think that matters in the postseason. Am I also saying this because the Leafs will probably get one of the Panthers and the Lightning in the first round? Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe, 
But the Calgary Flames defend well. They should get a pretty good match. I think that they're winning the Pacific Division. I believe in Jacob Markstrom. I believe in what they're doing defensively. And I think that that puts them in the best position to advance the furthest in the postseason right now. So I apologize to you, Daryl Sutter, who has become uh, my mentor in this business on how you answer questions. But I think Calgary Flames is the correct answer right now. Yeah, you look at all the teams in Canada right now and, and you search for weaknesses, and I'm not sure exactly what the Calgary Flames' big weakness is. You look at the Leafs, it's goaltending. You look at the Oilers, even though Mikko Koskinen's been better of late, it's goaltending. And the Calgary Flames, I don't know exactly what it my, is. Look at my guy. Yeah. Look at my guy in that stud. Picture. Just looks absolute stud, it's especially all part with of the, the 12 package. and 1 record right beside his picture. Yeah, still not happy. Very swag. But and that that's a good point though. Like I, he's probably still not happy in the room, and that I think bodes well for a team who has done so well to just kind of keep their cool and keep moving along and and we'll see if that translates into postseason success. It's been hard to come by for the Flames in, in recent years, but different coach. Yeah, and speaking of different coaches, uh, shout out the Edmonton Oilers who are now seven and three. They get Your that. Boy. They, they get that important two points in Philadelphia. Now go to Chicago, another important two points. But if they get that victory, which they'll probably be favored in yeah. Chicago, I haven't looked at the odds as of yet, but they'll probably be favored even on the road in Chicago after the day off. They would be eight and three under Jay Woodcroft. So, listen. Uh, Miko, I'm not going to say Miko Koskinen has found it, but he's been really good over the last little while. He's got 83 saves in his last two starts, both wins, last eight starts, 7 0 1, 219 goals against, 934 save percentage. We've seen flashes from him before. I'm not saying this is sustainable. I'm not saying that he is going to be the guy moving forward. But I've said all along if the Edmonton Oilers get good goaltending, they are a good to great team. And for me, it's all about goaltending, as I mentioned with the Calgary Flames, as I mentioned with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and as I'm mentioning with the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just, I feel like if they don't make a move for a goaltender, and this little spell here of Miko Koskinen playing really well, it might come back to bite them, and this could be just sort of uh, a mirage of sorts. The only reason why they would not go out and get a goaltender and then use this would be as an excuse. Yes, definitely. You've seen enough of Miko Koskinen to know that he can at times carry your team and he can at times cost your team. Yeah. Or cost your team. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, if you're an Oilers fan, you'd be going like this, shaking. No, if you're an Oilers fan, Miko you're Koskinen like, shut up, McAuliffe, go get a goalie. Yes. But I've been yes. saying that for years, so yeah. leave me alone. Raptors fans, we're back in the building the at GM. full capacity for the first time in nearly three months. And they got the full experience, a Raptors comeback victory in a tight game. And they even got to boo Goran Dragic. Gary Trent Jr. was clutched at the free throw line down the stretch. 109-108, the win over the Nets. And he was asked about having the fans back after the game. It was amazing. You know, we missed their energy all year for a little time. You know, they had to be out of the building. But, you know, they're all back now, you know, so... Hopefully we can get things rolling, crowd get behind us, city get back behind us, and great thing going. This is a big arena to be empty. So, you know, it was very quiet in here. You had to bring your own energy, but, you know, now we can do that with the crowd behind us and within ourselves. My guy's even got styles with his mask. He's so cool. <laughs> do you remember when he first came over in the trade and he was wearing that powder blue Blue Jays jersey and everyone instantly fell in love with his style? And Yeah. Yeah, um, so were the fans the difference in the game or just probably. the Raptors just back? No, no, probably. Listen, 
it, it, there was a time in that game where it was going to get away from. Like, I was even curious when I got home from the show. Like, I turned on immediately to see what the crowd would be like. And it felt like the Raptors made it interesting. Mm-hmm. And because it was interesting, the crowd got into it. And listen, if it had been the 30-point game that it was in Brooklyn the night before, none of this would have happened. But the way it all worked out, it felt like the city needed it, and it felt like the Raptors provided it. And Scotty Barnes late provided it. But I, I do think that the crowd played a factor, and I don't often say that. So the, what did you think of the, the booing? Because I know we put out the video of nah. the I Will Remember You, and you got a little bit of the mini I think Vince they had Carter some treatment. Yeah. I think that's. I think the crowd had some fun. Like Pascal Siakam after the game had a completely different opinion than the fans, but it was the fans who were pissed off when Freddie Van Vliet was playing the 45 minutes a game that may have ended up with him sitting and watching this one. That's when they were pit when they saw the videos of him working out when he showed up in Miami. Yeah. Like that's what pissed off the fans, and they had some fun with it. But as for the players, like. Completely different story. Here's Pascal Siakam. I don't know what was going on. I don't know why Goran's getting booed. Um, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't complaining, but I'm just saying, like, I wasn't expecting that. I was surprised. I, I don't know. I like I like Goran, so I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what happened, man. It's fun. That's what happened, right? Yeah, it, it seemed like the the teammates or the Raptors teammates liked. Goran, when he was here, they were walking around the city together. On they understand TikTok the business a little bit different. It's a business. Yeah, That's right. They understand the business. I, I want to do. I, I, we don't have time. Um, if you, I'm, I'm looking at a clock over here. Uh, we've already run out of time. But I want to have the Scotty Barnes conversation because and the Malachi Flynn conversation. Shout out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know when we'll do it, but we're going to have that. Con- we had it after yesterday's game. But Malachi Flynn, again, looked good, career high in minutes. And Scotty Barnes with some absolutely huge plays against, albeit, a Nets JV squad, but still some huge plays. He looks reinvigorated. I wonder what the ceiling is on Scotty Barnes, Mm -hmm. and I'd like to have that conversation. Sure. A little lawyer. Still to come, Kenny Reed in studio for hour number two. Elliot Friedman joins us with the latest chatter from around the NHL. Megan Chayka talking analytics. She's at the MIT Analytics Conference. Uh, We'll chat with old school Kenny. And up next, Major League Baseball just can't get out of its own way. We will discuss the lockout and cancellation games with one of the best in the business, Ken Rosenthal. Next, Hump Day here on Tim and Friends. Hump Day. Pull up. Oh, Oh, my. Oh, Malachi left the laundry on the floor. Scotty, fall away. Good. Scotty fades, fires, and fills it up. What says it most to you about Toronto's top line when you do the free scope? Which is their top line? (laughs) Fires, scores. Austin Matthews is the goal-scoring leader. Buntings in. Leaves it. Martyr scores. Here's Martyr centering and scores. Michael Bunting. I've never had a patty. I'm on the way home. I don't know what you speak. Sounds good. Pretty simple. A little gravy on top. Some easiest content we've ever had on the show next Wednesday. Kenny tries to Jamaican Kenny tries patty. Jamaican I'll do it. All right. Done. Yeah.
To the Friends continues on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. We mentioned Tony Clark's beard mm-hmm. in the opening block. Jesse Rubinoff yesterday said, I should grow the beard. I blew past it as quick as you can say, Kirk Bavakwa. But then today we saw it again, and I entertained the thought a little bit more. Vinny Sent tweets in, at Tim and Friends. Let's go, hashtag Tim and Beard. Now, I'm not sure about the blue tint Whatever. to that beard. Is it just for men have blue? <laughs> or, or it's just black? I, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think, honestly, Jesse Rubinoff, I should go for this, and it would probably take me about a year? I think at least a year. But like I said, <laughs> if the juice is worth the squeeze, that looks good. Like, if you can get there, that yeah. looks good. Yeah. I don't know about the blue. But, yes, it, it looks, I think that would look very, very good. All right. So here we are in I'm more impressed. ways than one. Vinny is just the contributions. They're <laughs> impressive. Nonstop. Yeah. MLB season will the MLB season will be shortened. That much we know for sure. But how long a season will we get? And how long will these painful negotiations and smear tactics go on for? And how the hell did we get here? Arash Madani tries to provide some answers. In reality, this has all been so predictable. It's not like we shouldn't have expected this. Baseball and its owners, after all, were the ones who locked out the players back in December and then waited 43 days before presenting an offer. It's been as embarrassing as it has absurd. The same group that couldn't get it together after the first COVID lockdowns are now on the verge of not just losing a bunch of games, but becoming more and more an afterthought in North America's professional sports landscape. The past two years have been the lowest rated World Series in history, and a sports business journal study has the average age of the Major League Baseball fan at 57. And yet amidst this, what has shown to be a priority more than little else throughout the industry is the suppression of player salaries. While doing so, they're destroying the entertainment value of the product. Go back to last year. The nine strikeouts a game, the most in the history of baseball. And 2021 also provided the second lowest offensive season ever, with teams averaging fewer than eight hits a night. That's a swing and a miss. Well, these hitters have to be so frustrated. But when there aren't a ton of power bats in the lineup, your payroll stays controlled. This game is not in a great place right now. This is a sport that's on the precipice at times, it feels, of irrelevance. But here's the deal with pro sports. The impact of all of this on owners won't be felt for a while yet. There are rich broadcast deals that are locked in. Atlanta's books are public and showed a one-year profit of $100 million coming out of the pandemic-shortened season. For now, they cash in little vision among the power brokers for what's on the horizon when today's disinterested youth aren't paying customers. Think of the tenor just last month from the commissioner's office. I see missing games as a disastrous outcome for for this industry and we're committed to making an agreement in an effort to avoid that. Well, three weeks later, here we are. So committed was Manfred in his effort that he didn't bother showing up to CBA talks until last Friday. The disastrous outcome is here, but it's been brewing for a while. 
a league that has done a horrible job of marketing its stars, that has lost much of its national appeal. And in reality, there was never urgency from the owners. So now, actual games get cancelled. And a league already dealing with major long-term trouble is only expediting further decline by becoming less and less relevant in the sports consciousness. America's pastime? This isn't anymore. Arash Madani with the op-ed here to talk about it is our good friend, one of the best in the business, senior writer at The Athletic. MLB on Fox, it is Ken Rosenthal. Kenny, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Tim. How are you? I, I'm well. Um, as Rash said, so we're here. Uh, the disastrous outcome that uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred didn't want is where we are. Did you think this was going to cost us games? I did not. I thought that there would be a settlement at the end, and I was arguing with my colleague at the Athletic, Evan Drellick, almost daily about this. I kept saying, there's time, there's time, this is the way negotiations in baseball work. And Evan, who has covered this thing closely for years now, said, there's time, but they're not going anywhere. And even when there was a surge of momentum Monday, the union kept saying that whole night, no, there are still major gaps on large issues. And for that reason, it could not have been a surprise to anyone, including MLB, the way things went down yesterday. I said that I thought that there was a distinct um, disconnect between the owners and how much their fans will push back on this. Do you believe that the owners don't understand how mad baseball fans are right now or don't care? I'm not sure I would go that far. And I'm not quite sure how to characterize their overall sentiment. Mm -hmm. To me, the primary disconnect, Tim, is with the players. And that has borne out in these negotiations. We've seen it for years. Comments by the commissioner that have angered the players. Actions by the commissioner that have galvanized the players. This is the most galvanized group or the most galvanized we've seen this group really since 1994-95. They were kind of sleeping for many years and it cost them in a couple of agreements. But now they feel like they're taking a step to protect the future. They feel like they're taking a step that will undo some of the damage that occurred in the past two CBAs. Now, that remains to be seen, and it remains to be seen whether ultimately this will turn out the way they want it and whether ultimately both sides will take ultimately a significant loss. But at the same time, this is the course that they've chosen. This is the course they say they've been prepared for, and here we are. As we move along, do you see the ramifications of what's happening right now to the game? Yes. And I don't know what the ramifications would be, say, Tim, if there was an agreement, I don't know, next week and they played 154 or some number like that. At that point, people would say, okay, we missed a week or whatever, no big deal. You miss a month, you miss a little bit more than that. There's a certain percentage of fans, and I don't know how large it would be, that would be turned off, alienated, whatever term you want to use. Mm -hmm. And it might not be the hardcore fans. Those people are always going to come back. It might be the casual viewer that you're hoping to grab or the reader. It might be a younger fan that you've been courting supposedly for years. And we're not even talking about the on-field product, which is a problem in itself, but this sport has a long way to go. And as Arash really put it eloquently in his essay, they're not as 
prominent in the national consciousness, and I would say the international consciousness counting Canada, as they once were. Mm -hmm. That is a huge problem. And when you have a lockout that extends into the season, it does not help. Yesterday we were talking about this, and the thing that struck me the most was Rob Manford, one, chuckling before he went to the microphone. And it may have just been optics. I don't know what the reporter said to him. Might have been a wonderful joke. Might have been a dad joke that would have gotten me to laugh. But when he stepped up to the podium and he chuckled, I thought, man, that is a terrible look if he is about to announce that they are canceling games. And the other part of this is talking about working really hard to get this thing done and they just couldn't get it. I mean, if nine days constitutes working really hard to get this done... I don't know what I've been doing for the last uh, two years during a pandemic from my basement at home. Like, I need to get that gig. That, that to me, I feel like most of the world is done with the BS, Ken. Like, I think we see through that more than we ever have in the past with the proliferation of information. That seemed to me like it was a ridiculous statement. I would agree, and he has not done himself any favors in press conferences, not just in this lockout, but through the years. And I don't know how to answer for that. This is a brilliant person. This is someone who you would think would be good on his feet, but not everyone who is brilliant is good on his feet and good with media or even good with connecting with players, which, of course, is a problem. He said yesterday the fans are our utmost consideration. I would think that most fans do not quite see it that way and these are the kinds of things that kind of just add fuel to the fire increase the frustration of players and fans and others and i don't know what the answer is he is in to be fair a very difficult position yes there are large market owners there are small market owners he has to balance all of their interests but that is his job it's something bud Selig did really well it's something that manfred professed to be really good at when he talked about in his last press conference, hey, I'm the guy who negotiated four labor agreements without a work stoppage. That's the truth. There's no question about that. But this is a different set of circumstances, a different set of negotiators on the other side. And obviously, they do not seem to be handling it very well. Is that huge gap between small market franchises and Major League Baseball and large market franchises the biggest hurdle that both sides have to get over? It's definitely the biggest hurdle ownership has to get over. And I've talked to a couple of people just in the last few days who have said the one thing you can say, even this coming from people on the management side, is that it's not the player's job to solve those revenue disparity issues. They're asked to solve them with Mm -hmm. the CBT and what that has, the effect that it has, but that is not what they are there to do. So... The extent of the problem, Tim, is one I cannot accurately gauge. It's hard to know. There hasn't been a lot of information coming out in that regard. And you can say, well, Ken, work harder. Yeah, I should work harder. I should be better. But there just isn't much that's being said. But it's clear that that division is a problem for Manfred. At least it's clear in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And it's something that it's really a challenge to navigate. I get that. We all get that. But at the same time, that's the job. And you have to find a way. And he's the guy for labor agreements without a work stoppage. Well, okay. You didn't do it for five straight because we have a work stoppage with a problem here.
canceled games. Okay, one of the things that Arash said in his piece was the suppression of player salaries. And I think that's hard for some people to get their heads around, right? Like, you look at Garrett Cole or you look at Bryce Harper or even Fernando Tatis Jr. and say, what is he talking about? Um, suppression of salaries. Like, do you agree that we've seen suppression of salaries? And can you explain it a little better, uh, at least for me? Yes, in the aggregate, there has been. Now, certainly a fan hears that there has been a suppression of salaries and that fan's going to say, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Mention some of the names that you just mentioned, Tim. But looking at where the overall money spent on players has gone in the percentage of revenue in the last, say, five years, it's been flat to declining. And that is where you see this argument that there has been a suppression. Actually, it's a fact that there's been some degree of suppression. The salaries have not risen in accordance with the revenues. Now, clearly, there's a little bit of a different circumstance the last couple of years, right? 2020, no fans. 2021, limited fans. And yes, revenues have been down. And you can understand the owners taking a little bit of a step back because they base their payrolls on revenues, not on resale values, much as we might like to see it that way. They base it on annual revenues. So, yes, there has been, in the aggregate, a suppression. But, yes, the highest paid players, the biggest stars in the game, continue to do quite well. Ken Rosenthal joining us here on Tim and Friends. Before I let you go, what do you see down the pike? What's what's the most important kind of dates and or things to look for as we try and navigate our way through what I called uh, horse feces? Yeah, that's a good term for it. (laughs) I'm not sure, Tim. That's the honest truth. And in a perfect world, you'd get these guys back to the table end of this week, right? Right. Take a couple days off. It was a hard nine days, no question, but get right back at it. But what do they have to talk about? The union rejected their best and final offer in that negotiating period. And the union doesn't really see the need to counter, even though Rob Manfred says they should, because they feel that their concerns are not being properly addressed and that they'd be negotiating against themselves. Both sides will tell you that they're doing that. So what is the next key date? I'm not sure, because as the calendar ticks off here, we are going to see increasing numbers of games lost. And one date I can point to would be maybe April 30th in that regard, because for the local television networks that are affiliated with major league clubs, the ones that are not owned by the major league club, like the Yankees with the Yes Network, they own that. Generally speaking, those networks are entitled to rebates after about 25 games. It's difference from city to city, team right. to team, but it's usually about 25 games in that range. Well, you would think that the owners would not want to give that money up, so that may make May 1st the most realistic opening day. But don't hold me to that. I honestly don't have a real feel. Before I let you go, I just have one question about baseball because I, that's the part that I like about this and not the negotiations. Do you think that the expanded playoffs is good or bad for baseball? I'm comfortable with the 12-team format. I'm much less comfortable with 14. Right. That's almost half the teams in Major League Baseball. Now, I was speaking with someone today, someone involved in the sport at the club level, and he said, you know what, you're wrong about this. 14 teams would be great. Teams like the Blue Jays last year would not have gotten shafted. They would have gotten in. And who knows? They were hot at the end of the year, and maybe they would have gone on a run. 
The players' concern with 14 was that it was too many, that it would disincentivize teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees from spending because they know they would get in, and right. it's a matter of who gets hot. So 12, to me, seemed a reasonable compromise, and that probably will be where they end up with if indeed there are expanded playoffs after all this. Once the sport expands to 32, and that's going to happen at some point, then 14 becomes perhaps a more realistic number. I'm just not comfortable with that large a number right now. The irony of all this is that if you got to 14, you might cost yourself 162, which is exactly what Rob Manfred just did uh, at the podium yesterday. Uh, Mr. Rosenthal, always appreciate you dropping by and dropping a little knowledge here on Tim and Friends. Thank you, Tim. Uh, there is Ken Rosenthal, one of the best in the business, senior writer of The Athletic, and will be on Fox. Uh, if you're not following him on Twitter, you are doing baseball wrong. Time for a break. When we come back, we'll get your feedback. We'll get to tons of hockey on tap in hour number two. Elliot Freeman, Megan Cheka, we'll do it all next. Tim and friends. Elliot Friedman's coming up. Kenny Reed's coming up. Megan Jacobs coming up. There is lots of hockey on tap here on Tim and Friends. We talked a bunch of baseball, but uh, Jesse, are we going to talk a little basketball here? Yeah, so the Raptors play the Brooklyn Nets last night. Obviously, the Nets were missing their three best players, including Kevin Durant, out with a knee injury, sprained MCL. It's looking like he's going to be back on Thursday, which has implications for the Raptors because the Raps three games up on Brooklyn in the standings. Come on. You're making a face. What? Come on. They're not going to be ahead of them for long, is I think no, what you're I just implying. I don't think that the Nets are looking at the Toronto Raptors and saying, that's who we need to catch in the NBA standings. No, now, but the Raptors may, are. Now, it may affect them in some way, shape, or form as they're trying to stay out of the play-in game. But I don't think that the Nets are saying, got to catch those Raptors. No, I think they'd feel very comfortable playing the Raptors in a playoff game if it comes to that. The Raptors, I'm not sure, feel the same way about facing the Nets. Um You wanted to talk about Scotty Barnes and Malachi Flynn, specifically the last couple of games because they've both been great. Yeah, here's the deal. A lot of people are talking about those two guys and what they mean to the Toronto Raptors moving forward, and I'm not sure that this sample size is the greatest for Raptor fans (laughs) to say this is why Malachi needed to play more minutes before and this is what Scotty Barnes is going to be the rest of the way. Listen, our friend Sid Tixero went to Twitter to talk about Scotty Barnes and used the Giannis Attentacumpo comparison for Scotty Barnes. And Scotty Barnes will one day be Giannis. And it got me thinking. Obviously, Sid went there because he was thinking of a player who didn't have the greatest jump shot in the world but could affect the game in a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. Now, what he's talking about there is one of, like, Michael Grange said, one of the top ten players of all time. Like... That's and when you consider what Giannis did in his first couple of years in the NBA, Scotty's better. But that's not the type of player that I think Scotty Barnes is going to be. I think Scotty Barnes is almost one of one. Like I don't know a lot of comparisons to what Scotty Barnes does well, and it had me thinking like what's his NBA comparison? Who is the guy that Scotty Barnes could be? Where's his ceiling? I don't think it's Giannis. I think Giannis was a lot skinnier than Scotty Barnes is in his rookie year. And he's a lot quicker and moves smoother for someone at six foot ten, right? But Scotty has this remarkable skill to make difference plays at a young age. And for me, listen, 
this isn't the greatest Nets team that the Raptors have played over the last two days, and it's very dangerous to draw comparisons. But Scotty Barnes, at his best this year, does things that I'm not sure I've seen before from a young NBA player. Yeah, it seems like he has maturity uh, that you wouldn't expect from a rookie as well. He was a big, frankly, leadership on the court last night, coming up clutch in very big spots. And I think when it comes to Malachi Flynn, too, like you now have something that you didn't know that you had, and it's a result of sitting Fred VanVleet those last, the last two games, which we said was probably a good idea moving forward long term. So the Raptors are back after that two-game mini slump. I, I, one, I don't know if they're back, and two, I don't <laughs> know if you can tell that Malachi Flynn is going to play significant minutes after eating up Dragic Mills and Seth Curry. <laughs> Like, that's not no exactly respect. the highest. No, no, I'm just saying, like, you got to see a little bit more from a point guard to get to that level. Uh, we'll see how it works out over the next couple of games, though. Before we head to break, we've been trying to include some heartwarming items in the show these days in what can be a very difficult and scary time for many people. Now, last night during the Flames broadcast, Arnor Ryan Singh was calling the game with Kelly Rudy and shared this message with a dude that helped him get there and for the first time ever... They called the game together. And it is so meaningful for me, Kelly, to be able to do this broadcast with you. I've known you for a long time. You were at my me wedding. Too, yes. uh, you know, you've gone to bat for me so many times in my career, mentorship, preparation. I have a little something to show okay. you. Uh, one of the times when I was a bit of a youngster, early 2000s, oh my, my cousins and I, we met you at a game when you were hosting uh, After Hours with Scott Oak afterwards. And... You were always so encouraging to me. I would come up and talk to you. I met you at a Wayne Gretzky charity golf tournament right, in Edmonton. I remember that, yeah. And, you know, during a time where I was getting mixed messages about the industry, if, if you know, viewers would be ready for someone like me to come on TV or not. But you were always so encouraging. It means so much for me to be able to do this game, not to sit with you to call a game. It's so special. I'm going to tear up. I thought I was going to get punked. I didn't recognize it was going to be so emotional. It's my pleasure, Harner. Thank you so much. Happy to call your friend. Thank you so much for everything you've done for me in my journey and my career. Awesome. And I'm not pushing any themes here. I'm not trying to push any agendas. I'm not trying to push anything. Just good human beings doing good human being things. Speaking of, kind of, Ken Reed will join me. (laughs) Next, we'll talk a little hockey <laughs> next year on Tim and Friends. I knew it was going there. I knew it. Tim and Friends, now for Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends, now for Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends. And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe. Friends of the show. Thank you very much. Sheepdogs back here. Hour number two on Tim and Friends. Full hour across Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. Ahead of Scotiabank Wednesday night hockey. Followed by the Leafs and the Sabres. That's right. Lay the remote down. We got you covered. A full hour of hockey getting you to the Leafs and the Sabres right here on the network. Elliot Friedman, Megan Shake, and Kenny Reed all coming up in the hour. But as mentioned, the Leafs host the Sabres tonight across the country on Sportsnet. They have won three straight end of the night, just two points back of the lightning atop the Atlantic. All eyes on the defensive issues and goaltending in Leafs land as Peter Morazic will get the start in net once again. He makes back-to-back starts for the first time all season. Jack Campbell hasn't played since being pulled in Detroit. Leafs coach Sheldon Keith explained the start. 
Well, he's earned it, I think, is, is the first thing. You know, it's no secret that Jack stumbled here a bit of late, and and uh, we have been talking about getting Peter more time in the net. Um, we think uh, the timing and everything just really makes sense. And so do I, or at least I said as much in the first hour. Now let's head live uh, to Sean McKenzie standing by at Scotiabank Arena. Sean, are you surprised that we'll see Mrazek in net for the Leafs tonight? Not in the least, and here's the reason why. When you cover the Maple Leafs for a long time, and anyone who's been in this market knows that there are moments, whether it's at practice, at games, when somebody says something, a coach or a player, you instantly go, wow, this is going to blow up. This is going to be a moment. This is going to make headlines. It's going to get Twitter fired up like it does every single day. And yesterday when Sheldon Keefe was asked who would start at practice and he said Mrazek, it wasn't really a shock to anyone. It wasn't one of those moments. It wasn't a revelation that I went, wow, this is going to be goalie controversy. This is going to blow up. And the simple fact is, is Sheldon Keefe and Jack Campbell have been very honest. We just heard Sheldon Keefe say it, that the plan was to get Mrazek some time. And they understand that Jack Campbell is struggling and he's going through a tough stretch. So the big question, though, is what happens from here? I'm not surprised that Peter Mrazek is getting the start tonight it's consecutive starts for the first time this season the big question is is what if he lights it up tonight what if he is outstanding does he get the opportunity to run with it is Jack Campbell still the number one guy I don't think I'm shocked right now that this is happening I think I'm very curious and intrigued though to see where this goes because the Maple Leafs need a goaltender that can rely on Sheldon Keefe made it clear as much as they signed Peter Morazic to get him in games as much as they want that rotation and a backup a 1A 1B situation they know that they need one guy to take the ball and run with it going into the playoffs. And right now it doesn't seem set in stone, which is an issue for the Maple Leafs. But the good news is, is that they can apparently score out well right now. So that's the silver lining of all <laughs> well, of this. Let's talk about that because how much it matters against the Buffalo Sabres remains to be seen tonight, especially with the way their top line is playing. I mean, Marner and Matthews are on an absolute heater. And that's the thing is it's easy just to look at it and say, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal to get Mrazek some games here. And they're going up against the Buffalo Sabres. There's a stretch of hockey here against non-playoff teams. But for the Maple Leafs, that is a, a very big deal. And, yes, the Leafs can probably take advantage of the Buffalo Sabres. They can probably get by on poor goaltending, a lack of defense, as long as Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner light it up against a team like the Sabres. But they've proven in the past couple weeks that they seem to play down to teams. And Justin Hall made that very clear, and he didn't hide the fact saying that they sometimes do play down to teams that are below them and they can't do that we know that they can play with teams like the minnesota wild and the pittsburgh penguins we've seen that but it wasn't long ago they got shelled by the montreal canadians and sheldon keefe recently just said that that was a bit of a wake-up call a kick in the butt per se so they are not taking it lightly against the buffalo sabers as much as the opponent is far below them in the standings and in skill and they don't have the austin matthews and the mitch marner but the leafs know that how they play against these bottom teams is going to kind of dictate the feel that they have going into the playoffs not sure what the minnesota wild win means right now given the way they've played over the last little while but uh, i digress mr mckenzie always great catching up with you thanks for doing this always a pleasure there is uh, sean mckenzie down at the arena. Canada's Paralympic team is named sledge hockey player Greg Westlake and curler Ina Forrest as flag bearers for the upcoming Paralympic Games in Beijing. Westlake, who was on the show not that long ago, will be competing in his fifth Paralympic Games for Canada, while Forrest competes at her fourth Games and holds two previous curling Paralympic golds. Congratulations to both of them.
All right, meanwhile, uh, ramifications from Russia's invasion of the Ukraine continue to be felt. Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich announced today that he will sell the team. Abramovich, who is Russian, has had a long personal history with Vladimir Putin, although he has said that, you know, I have nothing to do with that guy. He has been considered by many in his inner circle in the past. In a statement, Abramovich said today that he believes selling is in the best interests of the club and says all proceeds from the sale will be donated to charity and a foundation benefiting the victims of the war in Ukraine will get those proceeds. Now, how much are those proceeds? Well, he bought the club in 2003 for 140 million pounds. The valuation on the team now, three billion pounds. Chelsea have enjoyed the most successful period in their history under Abramovich, including two Champs League titles and their first five Premier League trophies. It's a lot of money, isn't it, Jesse? Should we go buy it? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think we have that kind of money. Uh, and today they were taking on Luton Town in... FA Cup action, and in fact, we're down in the 61st minute, 2-1, when Timo Werner slots to even at two apiece. 68th minute, they are finally even, 78th minute, overwhelming. Chelsea, nice passing, Werner, Romelu Lukaku, careful with that one, Kenny Reed, 15th oh, yes. career FA Cup goal. I bet he's had a lower body injury or two. <laughs> Chelsea complete the comeback and advance to the quarterfinals, 3-2 to the final. Uh, Liverpool Norwich, 27th minute, Divock Origi lays off, Takumi Minamino, and Minamino puts it home, give the Reds a 1-0 lead, more from Minamino a little bit later on, 39th minute, Liverpool corner deflects, Minamino controls and fires and scores off the bar and in Liverpool off to the next round, the quarterfinals, with a 2-1 victory. Ken Reed now joins me for analysis on the FA Cup action, two of the three that we saw today. Yeah. Kenny, tell me what you saw. I love when uh, guys go on TV and they're like, I'm a fan of all sports, and that's why I'm a sports broadcaster. When it comes to the FA Cup, I don't care. There you go. That's my analysis of the FA Cup. Who is the guy who owns the Chelsea? Roman Abramovich. Do you really believe he's going to give that money to charity? I Honestly, I read it like three different times. I tried to figure out what the language mm. was to feel like some of the proceeds, a portion. And none of it, it all says that it's going to a foundation, yeah. all proceeds. Yeah. Real noble to uh, put money to the charity of the, the foundation that your buddy invades and destroys. Right. What a piece of garbage. Right. Thank you. That's three, the end of that's my billion. that's my FA Cup analysis. And to to be fair to the revelation, there was talk in England and the UK that they may freeze the assets. I hope they do. I hope they take every cent of from. anyone in the inner circle of Vladimir Putin and Abramovich was obviously spoken of as one of those people. Yeah. So to be charitable in this moment where. It could have his assets Carry. frozen. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? All right, let's be a distraction. Enough of that garbage. Uh, I'm sick of this. Anyway, that's why I like doing the show, because I can come on and, you know, I can go. Play in the sandbox. Play in the sandbox, yeah. and I can call Buddy Owens Chelsea and his <laughs> buddy pieces of garbage. You know, I, I like doing this show. Yeah. Uh, $13 billion is what Roman Abramovich is worth. So mm -hmm. even if he gives the money to charity... There's still a few billion left over. Like 10, so should be yeah. okay. Right. Crazy. Yeah. Did you see the yacht that was seized in Germany? Uh, 600 million, is that what you said, Jess? 
the yachts were? 600 million is correct. Yeah. 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 A, yeah. You know Can't what? make a play for that one. Throw, <laughs> throw a party on that yacht and then just simply destroy it. Right. Absolutely terrible. All right, so let's get into the sandbox here. What about the lockout in Major League Baseball? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, Two of the things that piss off Ken Reed so, the most. Baseball and I have had a long relationship. I grew up an Expos fan, massive Expos fan. And then starting with, like, when they traded Gary Carter, that was a heartbreaker. Gary was my kid. They traded him, I think it was the 84, after the 84 season. Then Andre Dawson goes. And for the, for the kids, yeah. that was the start of the Expos experiencing yes, money problems. That was the start. And they had all of these stars that either we were had a part everybody. of the team. Yeah. And, then just, and Gary Carter felt like the start, was the first domino. And, and then fall. Andre Dawson. And then Andre and Dawson. And then Tim Raines. Right. And then anyone who was good, the Expos would trade off. Pedro Martinez. And, and then they built this team based on young guys. And, yeah. you know, I, I loved Larry Walker and Delano DeShields and Marquise Grissom. And then 94 came. And I'm like, all the pain I've gone through of seeing Gary Carter leave, Tim Raines leave, Andre Dawson leave, right. it's paying off. They're going to go to the World Series this year. They are awesome. And then, boom. It came, and the strike, and there was no World Series in 94. And I, it honestly took me 10 years to get over that. And I didn't really go back to baseball until the Red Sox went on their run. I was captivated by that story. Right. I didn't fall in love with the Major League Sanction juice competition between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. I didn't fall in love with the Barry Bonds, that cheat, watching his head grow at the age of 38 and peak at 39. Mm-hmm. I knew it was garbage. I wasn't sucked in by that, no more than I'm sucked in by this idiot who owns Chelsea. And I was, I felt like I was robbed by Major League Baseball. And I feel like it's happening again. And I know it's been 26 years since they had a labor stoppage. But the timing of this is so bad. Yeah. Baseball, we were talking upstairs yesterday. Boxing, horse racing, and baseball were, were these sports 110 years ago. Well, but congrats, baseball. You're on your way to becoming horse racing. And, and then, you know, as I do, and I'm not the most uh, intelligent guy. There's only one way I can really express how I feel about baseball. And for me, it often goes back to wrestling. So I'd like to show you something that I think, this is baseball. Can we roll the clip, please? (laughs) Practice. You know, now there's a fragrance that puts it all on the line. Arrogance. Whether it's a forehand, a backhand, every shot's a winner because women Navrata love it. Arrogance for men will make you the number one seed. One shot, and you'll be in the royal box. I don't know. That's, that's baseball. That's Rick the Model Martell. Baseball is the arrogance of Rick the Model Martell. Can Absolutely. I, can I ask the question that I wanted to ask as a kid and never got the answer to? Yeah. Was that a put-on accent by Rick the No, Paul he's French-Canadian. I know he's, he's French-Canadian. I know Quebec. he's from Quebec. Yeah. But I feel like the accent no. fit the character yeah. so well well, yeah. that he might have been putting on the accent a little bit more. Well, I, I don't know, but I mean... To like, me, I would have loved if Rick the Model Martel was out there going, Arrogance, it is the fragrance that will put you in the royal box. And then I cut. All right, how'd that go, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like a Killer Carl Krupp, the big uh, evil enemy, uh, the, the bad German and when I grew up. He was actually a truck driver from Moncton. You know, like, you yeah, know. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, to me, that's baseball. They are so arrogant. And I put 99% of the blame Can on Rob Manford here, but come on. Let like, me ask one question because I know there's other things that we've got to get to. And Megan Shaga's coming up and Elliot Freeman's coming up. But I put the same thing to Jeff Blair on yesterday's show. Like I said, 94. Like, what do you – and he said, 
Look at the valuations of the teams. Yeah. They're still making money. Yeah. They're worth billions of dollars. Like what you're talking about in '94 may have put a tiny dent in, but mm. they're still raking in money. What are you talking about? It's scar. There's teams like how many teams are going lose games in April? Cool. So we're not going to have 2,000 show up at the gate in Baltimore or in Minnesota. Yeah. We don't have to pay the guys. Can we, are there any more Rick Martel clips we can run just to really put the hammer down on this? I think right. I gave the guys more than one. Tampa is Maybe one of later. those teams. Tampa? Right? Well, like, Tampa could, yeah, I mean. They're like, a good team, and nobody goes, no one gives a bleep. Right, and there's, te- there's, there's probably 10 to 15 teams in baseball, 10 at least, where you're going, well, I'm just going to go drink a couple pops and watch the game, and I know they're not going to compete. Like, look at Jeter leaving Miami. You know why he left? Because they don't want to try to win. They make yeah. money without trying to win. Without a doubt. It's garbage. By the way, I've uh, recently been uh, reinvigorated by one of the songs from the Rocky soundtrack, Rocky Four soundtrack. Sorry, that's, that's an interesting segue. Yeah, it is. And, and I think it describes the baseball scenario okay. right now. Would you like to hear it? The, the lyric I've chosen from uh, Robert Tepper's song off the Rocky Four soundtrack? Uh, Ken often comes in with lyrics that he believes fits... Uh, the bill. Let me let me hear this one. So both sides, I think, have to give a little, right? If they want this to work. <laughs> K Major League Baseball in the PA. This is for you from Robert Tepper's song off the Rocky Four soundtrack. There's no easy way out. There's no easy way out. There's no shortcut home. No shortcut home. There's no easy way out. <laughs> I already did that one. Giving in can't be wrong. Giving in can't be wrong. Can't be wrong. Give a uh, little. You gave a little to us and said that you would try a beef patty, a Jamaican beef That's patty. Right. That's right. Last time you were here, That's true. it was International Jamaican Beef Patty Day. You said you'd never had one? No, I've never had one. We have gone out and purchased really? Jamaican beef patties. Awesome. And you'll try one in the final block? I will, for awesome. sure. Awesome. Kenny sticking around. Time for a break. When we come back, Jamaican beef patties all around. And guess what? We went to Warden Station to get them, or at least the bakery that provides them for both Warden and Bathurst Station. We are first-class We have got quality patties here for Kenny Reed to try. And Elliot Friedman, next, here on Timmy Friends. The number one seed. (laughs) Coming up on the network, Leafs and Sabres a part of Wednesday Night Hockey, Kenny Reed, Jesse Rubinoff, and now Elliot Friedman, time for 3 of 32 with our friend Elliot Friedman, brought to you by the first ever GMC AT4 lineup. Frege, what's going on, and did you just throw away your phone? Yes, I just threw it down, and Tim, by the way, if you're bringing out Jamaican beef patties, Mm -hmm. I hope you didn't just bring it for Ken, and I hope you're going to bring it for everyone. Are they that good, Elliot? I've never had had one. Oh, yeah. I, I like. I just got a, a text from someone that everyone loves in this building, Patty Flash, who says, "Love you guys, miss you guys. How the hell has Kenny never had a Jamaican beef patty yeah, before?" I said, you know, to which, <laughs> to which you answered, "Yeah, you know where I grew up. They tried to open a Starbucks back where I'm from. Starbucks, they, they, fancy coffee, and they, they, that never went. They're gonna, they were gonna beat the hell out of them." What was, what was the equivalent? I, I'm thinking it's done air, but yeah, grow up next to Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> Where, what's the equivalent to a beef patty where you grew up? Because I had these every day in high school. Oh, what would I have every day in high school? 
Uh, no, like, I, what was your I, would, I would be picked on. I don't, can't really recall what I'd eat. <laughs> what did they make you eat, Ken? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, oh, I've, I've there is no like local specialty thing I, that you would. I don't know. Like, you eat, fish that, and chips. Fish and you chips. You only eat donairs at like 4 a.m. You know that. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess. I don't know. Dad's peanut butter sandwich, you know, whatever. Like, lobsters, you know. All right, this isn't the same. Fridge, I got about, uh, actually, D went out and got, I think we've got a dozen. Oh, Picto County Pizza. That was the go to. Picto County Pizza. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I think we've got a dozen patties. Uh, Fridge, I can walk a few over after the show. Well, if, uh, you know what? You so can't inclined. bring, like, we've got a big crew here. You can't bring for some of the crew and not the other. So, so you're telling me the one time we get food, we have to cater to the hockey people? <laughs> Yeah, who, hey, who breads our butter around here? Hey, come on. Who breads our butter? I mean, uh, there's no baseball. Like, they're canceling the season. The <laughs> only food we get over here is the leftover Halloween candy I've been bringing in for the last week for everybody. Someone once breaded my butter, and I didn't like it one bit, Elliot Friedman. Uh, is Jesse in there? Yeah. I'm here. Jesse, was it you I walked into in the parking garage the other day? No, I don't think so. Okay. Because I, okay, <laughs> I, I got to tell you guys. Jesse, uh, what do you look like? Because uh, no, he was wearing a mask, right? I, I don't oh, know. Looks like a mask on. So, because uh, I got to tell you, so yeah, the other night I'm here on Monday night and I'm going out and I'm listening to a bit of the podcast because I'm listening to it to make sure there's no errors. So, someone gets in the elevator with me and I turn it off and they're like, it's okay, Elliot. You can listen to the rest of yourself on the podcast. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I felt so stupid. I'm like, no, I'm listening to make sure it's okay, but I couldn't tell if it was you or somebody else. No, it wasn't me. All no, right, I somebody. think the stairs, not the elevator. Oh, oh look at me. eats a lot over in there. there. Oh. <laughs> I, I love sorry, yeah. sorry, Schwarzenegger. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to rewind this conversation five years ago? Yeah, I ran into someone in the parking garage. They were wearing a mask. And I was just wearing, <laughs> yeah, no idea who it was. Regular stuff. I might work with them, but what? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk That's a little so hockey. Good. Leafs and Sabres tonight. Uh, the question of the day, surprised by Morazic getting the start in goal. No, no, not yeah. at all. He's... Look, uh, they're in a position right now where you you win it or you play well, you earn it. Campbell's got to find his game. Sometimes you do that better in practice as opposed to games. Uh, I got no problem with this one. I completely understand it. Oh, I, I was like, I thought, man, if you want to get your groove back, you go in against Buffalo. Come on, but mm. I, I get the stay hot thing. Go with the hockey. I get that too. No, you you, you got to you look. You're you're challenging Florida. You're 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 trying to get the best possible playoff position you can get. Um, you don't have time to fool around. You got to win the game. Okay, so let's say that Mrazek stays the hot hand, right? And mm -hmm. and he runs it the rest of the way. Most of it. Can you go into the playoffs with him, or do you have to do something by deadline? Look, if if you know, Ken, if he holds the net for the rest of the season, there's no, there's no debate. Uh, you know, we've got, what, seven weeks between now and then. I, I'm not expecting them to chase a goalie at the deadline. I could always be wrong. I've been wrong before, but I'm not expecting them to do that. Um, but between now and then, it's open competition, and someone's going to win it. Uh, you, you just hope that one of them doesn't back into it. Right, mm -hmm. right. Like I've gotten into this Wednesday slot. You're <laughs> <laughs> on different way, like, I'm furious. That, is a, that jacket is a staple of my collection. I can't believe Deb made oh, two. Dude, there's two of we that have, jacket. Elliot and I, we must be both equally handsome or have the same pale skin because <laughs> Deb Berman, our clothing lady, outfits us in a lot of the same suits. I think it's similar dad bod. I think yeah, I was going to say. It's, 30, it's the 38 bod. waist. <laughs>
Uh, a lot of a lot of talk about uh, yeah, thirty-eight ways. That's so maybe cool. maybe we should start taking the stairs like Jesse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hold yeah, off I mean, on the you need Schwarzeneggers right, yeah. right now. Easy there, Fitbit. <laughs> Easy there, Fitbit. Man, there, Fitbit. <laughs> All right. So a lot of talk today about uh, Austin Matthews' two hundred foot game. Yeah. And after the last two games, Jesse and I did this. There was a bad goal against Montreal where he didn't back check, and yeah. he said, if he is the guy who is a 200-foot player, he could be even more valuable than he already is. And I know Leafs, Leafs Twitter is in a tizzy right now because of... Because uh, of a two-year-old clip? Yeah, two-year-old clip. Because <laughs> yeah. of a two-year-old clip, right. <laughs> so let's talk about Austin Matthews. The heater he's on right now along with Mitch Marner and the reputation of his defensive game and how far he's come. Well, I think that play you just showed a second ago against Minnesota is the example of, of how far I think that how much better I think he's gotten and, and how far he's come. And all these highlights are perfect examples of this. And we were just going through the run the run through of the show with Carolyn and Anthony. Mm-hmm. And Carolyn was pointing out how Matthews leads the all NHL forwards and takeaways. And, you know, I, I remember when, when Patrick Kane was really becoming a great, great player. And he already was a good player. But when he was becoming a great, great player, one thing that Joel Quenville said was that he had learned to get the puck back after he lost it. And I think that that's one thing that Austin Matthews has has really done. He has he gets the puck back better now than when they lost it. And I think it's made him a much much more dangerous player. Like that back check you showed or lack thereof against Montreal, that can happen. And there's always going to be people who have bad shifts. But I think his I, I think the overall consistency of his play at both ends of the ice has really improved. Uh, you know I know they're talking about him with the Selkie. If it was to, like today this year, Patrice Bergeron I think would be the runaway winner of the Selkie Trophy, and it's it's you know he's that good at it. But I could see Ma- like I could see Matthews winning one in his career, no question about it. I'm always amazed at uh, when the switch goes on for guys and what the process is to make that switch goes on. Like I, we remember Steve Eiserman, right? He used to rack up points all the time, yep. and then Scotty Bowman came in and. Sw- and turned him around. What do you? Any theories on what it was for for Matthews that maybe first round exits? Yeah, turn turn the page. That's a good theory. You know, I, I think it's that Tim. I think that's a great point. But I think the other thing too is that if you're really wired to be great and you demand greatness of yourself, you're always looking to get better at something. I, I remember that Sidney Crosby going into his second season. He said uh, in an interview we did that there, every summer there was at least one thing he was going to try to get better at. And every year, uh, I would ask him, what's the one thing you worked on? And to the point where he got really sick of answering the question. <laughs> but I think that that's what greatness is all about. It's never being satisfied. It's uh, saying, what's the next advantage I can find? What's the next edge I could have? We've seen that Matthews has tinkered with his shot before. Yep. He's worked on his one-timer. I, I think that now, like his, his puck hunting and his ability to steal pucks from behind, it's, it's a skill that he's getting much, much better at, and it's making a big difference. I just think, guys, the greats say, I'm never, I'm never satisfied. And, and you know, I, I can't tell you, like, the, the Jordan documentary, uh, I, I think that there's probably a whole generation of players who never really saw Michael Jordan like we did, but now know about Michael Jordan and what mm. drove him. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of them that, that understand that and appeal to that. I want to get into your 32 thoughts because there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. But you've had me hook, line, and sinker over the last couple weeks on the Chicago Blackhawks GM search. And then they stay in-house with their interim GM. What what do you make of Kyle Davidson? And and shout out Laurentian. I know he's worked his way up. I'm not trying to diminish it. But there are just so many interesting names in the mix. Well, I um, I think that he was the favorite going in. 
and they wanted to do some different things and they wanted to interview some different people but you were going to have to really knock them off the perch to take the job from them mm -hmm. and i think the cubs assistant gm jeff greenberg was the person who most made them think um you know can we do this does this make sense and um you know at the end of the day i think they i just don't think they were ready to do that jump and they went with the with the person they know and they put them in charge and i don't have a problem with it you know I, I will say one thing that i was told today was that the one candidate whose name was not made public was was teresa rash of the of the raptors mm -hmm. and you know i, I think I, I think they were really interested in her and i i don't know that she was going to get the job and i don't know if she would take in the job anyway but i think they were interested in her but someone told me today tim that one of the that if you weren't willing to put your name out there you you weren't going to get the job right. so i think that even though they were interested in rash and they wanted to talk to her i don't know that she would have gotten it but when they the, her and the raptors or whoever weren't comfortable with her name getting out there it, she wasn't going to get it but mm -hmm. i i think davidson was the guy from the beginning and it was going to have to take someone to topple him from that position you don't have a problem with it elliot but you think there's going to be some people who do around the hockey world given the optics of what's gone down in chicago over the last few years and people calling for change 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 and they go with someone who's kind of been around you know ken i, I think you you have to make the best decisions like the, the way the world is right now there's always going to be people who hate it, always, yep. and they can voice their opinion more than ever. That's that's the good and the bad of social media, right? So if you believe you're making the right choice, and and you and and I, one thing I will say about the Blackhawks is this: it was very apparent to a number of people who interviewed for this job that the Blackhawks feel they have a lot of work to do and a long way to go. Like this is an organization that. Um, realized what mistakes it had made and is scarred by it. So a lot of the decisions they're going to make and a lot of the things they're going to do are going, including releasing the candidate names, are going to be about fixing their reputation uh, in their market and around the league. Uh, we've been talking about the continued fallout surrounding Russia's invasion of Ukraine, mm -hmm. and over the last little while, you've done a wonderful job of talking about that for each. And, and one of the things you brought up was Dan Milstein, who is a uh, player agent. Mm -hmm. And there was reportedly an idea floating around that the Canadian Junior Hockey League, the CHL, uh, would announce that Russian and Belarusian players would be banned from the upcoming draft. Milstein had some interesting things to say about that. And while it's not official yet, is there any change in that regard? Well, it was a bit of a confusing day there, Tim, because the, the conference call was today, and, and at about 1 p.m. Eastern time, uh, Dan tweeted out that he was told that at 3 o'clock Eastern, they were going to announce that Russian and, and, and Belarusian uh, players were not going to be allowed to be taken. And he was very upset about that. And, you know, later on they announced that they're canceling the Canada-Russia series this year, but they still haven't made a decision about that particular draft. And just, you know, Jeff and Sam are the guys who have the better junior contacts than mm -hmm. I do. But, you know, it's, it's a big debate. There are some people who feel strongly that they should not be able to take those players. And there's other people who feel very strongly that, you shouldn't penalize these players for something that is out of their control. I don't think they've reached a consensus yet, but, you know, Milstein released that tweet for a reason, and, and yeah. that was to put pressure on it. He feels very passionately about this, and look, I mean, everybody feels passionately about this. It's a brutal, awful, awful situation, and 
people feel very strongly about their particular positions, and rightfully so. One quick one before we let you go. Uh, I was looking at the Canadian basketball players that were playing in and around the area. I know that you looked at the Canadian hockey players. How many of them are coming home? Uh, so last week when I looked through the rosters, there were 23 Canadians and five Americans uh, still on rosters of teams that were to play in the playoffs. I know of, there's a Canadian named Jeff Platt, but his wife is from Finland. I'm not sure where he lives now. He left his team. There were a couple of Americans who left their team. Kenny Agostino, who played for the Marlies last year. Yep. Uh, Nick Shore, who's a name we know, he left his team. Um, there was, an, there was uh, I think there's a couple more. There's a Finnish player, Michael Grandland, or sorry, Marcus Grandland, who left his team. Um, there's a few, and, you know, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's the drop in the Russian ruble has a big part of it, yeah. and I think there are some countries who are, who are really recommending to their players, if you can, please do leave. Uh, Fridge, always appreciate the insight. All right, guys, have a have a great night and you, buddy. enjoy those patties. I'll bring one for you, pal. See you in right. the parking lot, Elliot. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Enjoy those steps, Jesse. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Elliot Friedman, everybody. Uh, one of the things that he brought up that was really interesting to me was how the KHL had canceled their season before the Olympics, yeah. went right to the playoffs, and said it was COVID reasons when a lot of people thought they knew exactly what they were yeah. doing here. Yeah. All right, up next, one of the brightest analytical, uh, analytical can't even say it, wow. one of the brightest analytical minds around, probably smarter than me, Megan Cheka will join us after the break. Um, she's at the MIT Sports Analytic Conference. This is the granddaddy of them all. I was not invited. I want to go. I want to know what they're doing there. down there. I want, can't, right. So we're going to have her on and we'll ask her what they're doing down there. Because <laughs> I can't get in there. He spent two years. Welcome back, friends. Less than a half an hour away from Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey on Sportsnet. Carolyn Cameron, Anthony Stewart, and Elliot Friedman. We'll get you set for the Leafs and the Sabres across the country. Earlier today, Sabres head coach Don Granato was asked about what stands out most about the Leafs' top line. Here's what he said. Uh, which is their top line? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, yeah, they, they, they have lots and lots of... Well, what stands out is if you just concentrate too much on them, the other guys will hurt you too. So, um, you know, you have to respect top players in this league and you know their abilities and they've got lots of top players first coach humor and a little uh, mayor quimby in there <laughs> <laughs> i like i always love the when the coaches what what top line that's you know the yeah. first line what's not what's the first line <laughs> that's coach humor right there right. Uh, our next guest joins us for the first time in a long time second time with analytical guru kenny reed in the building that's so right allow me to welcome data scientist Stathlete, hockey number cruncher, Megan Cheka. Cheka, one, it's been too long, and two... It has been. Honest question, does it bug you to hear in the introduction analytics because you're just a sports freak like the rest of us? <laughs> no, I mean, I sort of have embraced it by this point. After about a decade of being made fun of, I might as well just lean into it, right? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and a sports freak who might be a little bit smarter than Kenny and I. We weren't invited, Megan. What's going on here? <laughs> no, I don't see you on the program, Ken. No, we were talking Dog. about, like, you have qualifications. For Tim, it would be a two-time Carlton dropout. For me, it would be a 680 SAT combined. So uh, we were not invited. So I want to know what goes on at this because, Megan, you and I, we've talked. We're not philosophically aligned, but we both love hockey. We can talk to each other about it without fighting like people do on Twitter. That's right. why I hate social media. So what goes 
on at MIT, which neither Tim and I are allowed within oh, 50 miles of. Yeah. Well, I think it's been on for 12 or 13 years now. So about around the time Stathletes actually started. And, you know, it varies. It's grown very big in terms of a business conference. There's a ton of different speakers. Obviously, uh, NBA, NFL, very heavy in the conference. But I'd say one of the bigger markets um, in analytics in general is soccer. So definitely seeing that rise. As well, we I'm actually a judge at a hackathon uh, here with NHL and ESPN player and puck tracking data. And then there's some research papers too. And I'm on the hockey panel, of course, uh, with some of the ESPN and uh, Seattle Kraken and a couple other people. So it'll be a lot of fun. It's great to connect with this community, I suppose, of nerds. But um, it's always great to get new information from other sports. I collect hockey cards, so I'm a nerd, too. <laughs> right? We're not alone here. Yeah. Uh, listen, the closest I got to MIT was watching Goodwill Hunting. So let me take That was me, Harvard. Take, well, no. So he, you didn't even get that right. No, he, the janitor was at MIT when he first solved the thing, and then that got him into Harvard. Oh, I don't know if you watch very closely, Kenny, but I'm pretty sure the janitor saw him solving the problem at MIT, but I thought it was I, Harvard. the girl's them sugar. Uh, so oh, let me yeah, ask bye. you, let me ask you this. What's the thing that you learned the most while sitting in and around what is the granddaddy of all sports analytics conferences? I think you just learn best practices and new things in the industry. Obviously tech moves very quickly. So if you're not, you know, right. absorbing information from other sports, you're behind. And I think with hockey, it's such a dynamic game. So there's a lot of different challenges that some sports such as soccer or even basketball don't have. Um, so the chips that are in the puck and the players now are going to make it a bit better in terms of gathering a lot more data in real time. And we're just seeing jumps in other sports too, depending upon what type of tech they use and what they're looking for on these players. How many people show up at the conference that are just curious or skeptical and just want to find out what's going on? Or is it mostly people that I are just hard I think a lot. Yeah? No, and I mean, like, they have really big speakers. I mean, they even had Obama one year, so We're I think definitely he's alone. The, <laughs> <laughs> the price of admission, right? Yeah. So, you know, it varies. A lot of people are into sports, right? I mean, in general, I think sports can unite at, at certain times, and being a fan of a, a team can be, a you know, a general thread. So... I think people here, too, are just sports fans at heart and just interested in learning more. There, there might not be an answer to this, and that, that's completely and utterly okay, but has there been a conversation that you've eavesdropped on at this conference that has either uh, set a light bulb off for you or got you extremely pissed off? Is, has there been one <laughs> of those conversations where you've sat in and just gone, what the hell are these people doing? Or, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like the tech side, just the type of tracking and how they're able to understand, um, you know, player movement or biometrics in real time is really interesting. There's a lot of owners that show up as well. So always like to uh, talk to some of them and see, you know, their their overall strategies, not just on the performance side, but for the club in general. Um, and actually, we'll jump right into our next segment, which is Buffalo. I think, you know, there's not too many hockey people here this year, but one of them is the, the Sabres owner. Uh, Kim Pagula. She's on, I think, an owner's uh, panel, which I obviously am not on, but right. I will be tuning in for sure to, to something like that. So we got the Leafs and Sabres in Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey, and you provided us with the perfect segue to go there, so yep. we will go there. <laughs> and I, I've been confused by the Leafs this year, honestly, and I'm not talking about whether or not they're a good team. I am wondering, like, the difference between good and great. What are you seeing from the Toronto Maple Leafs this year? 
I think, you know, the coach of Buffalo um, served that up really well, too. Uh, you know, there's not just one line with, with a team like Toronto. Um, both an expected goals and scoring chance differential. They're number two in the league. I think it's Mitch Marner's 400th game tonight. Um, he's yeah. actually top 10th in shot assists per game this year, meaning he passes to someone taking a shot in the game. So that's, you know, off the box score. And his 290 assists are the most through 400 games for the Leafs. So it goes to show you, you can look at some, you know, off the box score analytics and it makes sense um, in results. As well, you know, obviously you have to look at a Matthews and Nylander. They're both uh, top three in shot slots per game. So they're not only generating offense, but they're getting in, in those dirty. Yeah, yeah, great areas to score from. And they just generate those dangerous chances. They're, they're great on the rush, but they, all, they can also score in different ways. Whereas the Buffalo actually gets 28% of all their shot attempts off the rush, which is the most in the NHL. So they're, they're flying high, but it's also hard to come back if you stop the rush on Buffalo. So when I look at the Leafs, I, I see the, the same team as I saw last year. I see a team that's dynamic offensive, not tough enough on the backhand, and iffy goaltending. Is there anything in analytics that, that says, Ken, you're an idiot, or Ken, you might be onto something? Like, what, what do you see from the Leafs heading into, are they a postseason team? Well, I think that's the challenge always, right? And I mean, the one thing that I think is a bit more comforting right now is their expected goals differential and scoring chances differential, so creating high-quality shot attempts, but also limiting shot attempts against. Because as you said, yeah, you can't win 10-7 to 7 every game, right? There's mm -hmm. going to be a time when if you're letting in those goals, you're going to be in tight games in the playoffs and you need your goaltending to at least be at league average. So that's obviously a huge concern mm -hmm. um, going into the postseason. And it should be a concern for anyone with you know below average uh, goaltending. Can they win a series? Can they win against these tough teams that defensively will come out? Um, I think, though, when you look at like Buffalo's coach saying, yes, Toronto will come at you in waves. It's not just shut down one line, shut down a couple players, and you'll win. So they have that advantage to them, and I think the maturity of an extra year will play into that. But it's all about the matchups and then getting that goaltending, which could be a bit of luck, too, if we're looking at a one-game sample, like a Game 7. All right, we only got a couple minutes left here, but I have two questions that I want to get in here. One of them is marrying both of your ideas together. So... Uh, Kenny's talking about the difference between the Leafs in the regular season and the Leafs in the postseason. And as I saw your slot shot numbers for a team, I realized what we have here are the best teams in the league. Like at the top of this list, it's the Leafs, it's the Flames, the Panthers, it's the Avs. Do those numbers change significantly in the postseason? Are there less opportunities available in prime scoring positions when you get down to the nitty gritty in the postseason? I mean, I think we see the postseason be more physical and people be more defensively responsible. It's a smaller sample of games. There's a lot more that goes into it. People are ready. They're fully healthy to have that type of, you know, abilities to get in the slot um, and then to also defend. Right. So I think it is a bit more challenging, but you will see the teams that win in the, the playoffs will be teams that are high on that list as well that can continue that trend. Right. That um, so that's something that, yeah, that's something that teams will look at down to a player level as well. Um, players that under or overperform. You know, you hear scoring chances right. a lot. 
And a lot of that is slot shots too, right? You get the goalie moving, you're in the slot, you have a high probability of scoring. And playing and paying that price to get to those greasy that's areas. Where you that gotta, that's where you pay the, and it's tougher in the playoffs, as we know, right? Getting yeah. The guerrilla rules, right? Uh, before we let you go, uh, an increased number of women in the front office of uh, NHL uh, franchises over the last little while. Uh, when do we lose you to the other side? And how long <laughs> till we see a woman in a GM spot? I mean, I love my job. I, you know, get to work at league levels on, you know, with teams, players, agents, digital. I'm sure you all know you see so much sports betting coming as well. April 4th is a big day for for Ontario. So, I mean, I get to touch a lot of different industries and spaces. And, you know, I I never say never. But right now I'm definitely uh, loving what I'm doing and the amount of great people I work with and the clients that we have. So, I wouldn't say anytime soon, but, you know, both Kyle's in, um, you know, Chicago and Toronto are from local Ontario universities. So, you know, a lot of good homegrown talent as well as GMs. So uh, I would love to see a woman in that role, obviously, or president um, on the hockey ops side. And I think the day will come very quickly. Laurentian and Brock, respectively, Kenny, as we Look are both you. big supporters of the uh, of the CIS. Yes, we are here in Canada or U Sports. Uh, Megan, always a great supporter. Thank you very much See for doing Megan. this. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. get us Thank an you. MIT sweatshirt or something. Will you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we'll look up to see if I was right on Goodwill Hunting. All right, you time for a break. Were. Thank you, Megan. Thank See ya. you. Uh, there is Megan Cheka at the MIT you know, Sports. You know, Goodwill Analytics. Hunting was filmed in Toronto. I didn't know that. I'm a plethora of information. Has anyone written in to tell me if I'm right or wrong? I'm going to fact check that, what he just said. What? The board. Toronto? Yeah. That it was filmed in Toronto? Yeah. You don't believe it was filmed in it? All right, the, we're getting to the The Apple's the bat was where my brother used to live, across the street. Kenny's eating patties, too. <laughs> the, the, how about them? Uh... Welcome back. It is Last Call here on Tim and Friends with Kenny Reed. The patties are in the building, Wait. and they are just warm enough as Ken Reed gets his first ever Jamaican beef patty roll. Feel the player. heat all the way over here. You know it's a big deal when our boss, D. Hamley, brought the patties in. Like, yeah. If the boss is bringing the patties in. No. Yeah. Very exciting stuff. Let's get to a couple stories quickly so that we can indulge. Uh, the Oilers wrap up their road trip tomorrow in Chicago. It will mark Duncan Keith's first game back at the United Center since he was traded to Edmonton in the offseason. And today, the Oilers literally rolled out the red carpet for Keith as he returned to the building where he spent the first 16 seasons of his career. I like it. It's supposed yeah. to be fun. That's great. That's okay, great. so Timmy, the question is... respect. There we go, boys. Pucks and And go now. There we go. Have either of you ever gotten a reception like that at a previous place <laughs> of work? Wow. Uh, probably not. No. <laughs> no, I've no, never gone back. Not. No. 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 Hard no. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Mark Scheifele answered the bell last night in his first game against the Habs since his hit on Jake Evans in last year's playoffs, but Scheifele drew some criticism for fighting a smaller Chris Weidman, five inches shorter and 30 pounds lighter, and then playing to the crowd with Scheifele after he seemingly lost the fight. Ken, 
What'd you make of this? What, he's singing Brick House? He's supposed to ask for measurements? Come on, the guy's put a glove <laughs> in his face. It's go time. Shifley said he'd go. He went. He junior beat it up after. It's entertainment. I'm all for it. Well done, Mark Shifley. Well done. Was, to both of them. Was the was the junior B after it the junior, tongue in cheek? The junior B after it. He laughed at himself. But you're though. Divorced. Who cares? Yeah, junior B it up. Fun. Junior B it up, man. I thought the criticism was people just trying to criticize. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's what we do in 2022. Weidman wanted to fight. It was a game where he felt like he had to and, answer the bell. And who who criticized him? Did anybody go up to his face and criticize him, or did they do it on their little internet? Machine? They did it on their little <laughs> internet, internet machine. Little internet machine. <laughs> the same people who tell me I suck every night. <laughs> Sometimes I do, I'll admit. All right, uh, we finished last call by going back to last week and a shocking revelation made by Ken. Have a listen. A patty is a great on the way to work. I've never had a patty. On the way home? Period? I don't know of what you speak. (laughs) Next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Yeah. Pastry. Yeah. Sounds good. Pretty simple. A little gravy on top. Some easiest content we've ever had on the show next Wednesday. Kenny tries the Jamaican Kenny tries the Jamaican I'll do it. All right. All right. Here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, uh, we have gone to the place that provides for Warden Station. And do you remember that we had the argument last week about which station on the TTC line had the better patties? I remember you had an argument with yourself and I <laughs> didn't participate because I never had one. They're both provided by the same bakery, I found out after the show. Okay. So oh, we went okay. to the bakery, Kenny. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of Russian roulette. Okay. There is a spicy and there is a mild. <laughs> okay, it's going to be mild. We don't know which one's spicy oh, no. and which well, one's mild. We'll just take whatever's on top. But oh, I will no. say this, Kenny. Do you have utensils for me? We've all, No, you eat it with your hands. You do? It's like a donair? Yeah. We've also got you a ting. This is a different kind of ting. This is a drink that goes with this, this, that ting. It's ting. Is that a it's soda? It's grapefruit. It's basically oh. grapefruit. I don't like grapefruit. Well, you can try the. So I feel like one of those uh, morning ho- show hosts, like, oh, let's uh, have the cookie segment, and we're gonna yeah, try this. Yeah, Sid Sixero. Let's feel like Sid. So, so this is the crusty part. So I don't want to eat the crusty part. No, no, you just grab it and you eat it. I have go. dietary restrictions. I don't know if I should be eating this. Oh, okay, really? let's go. I don't care though. Whatever. Look, look at my body. Come on. <laughs> Did you get the spicy one first off? Yeah, I got the spicy one. Did <laughs> you really? Uh-huh. <laughs> really? Because it's not really that spicy, is it? It is to me. Really? Yeah. It's pretty good, though. Let me try it. What part's the mild, do you think? Maybe go on that side. Okay. I kind of like it. It's kind of good. Okay, here we go. You know your sauce. Oh, right? I got spicy, too. See, that I like. That's not... Well, that's spicy. <laughs> They're good. They're good though, no? Yeah, they are. I think they're all spicy. <laughs> you guys are. Can I can I call you guys white for a dot? <laughs> well, look at my skin. No, but like I lose I lose pigment in the sun. Big, we we used to say at my school, like, are you white or are you really white? Big hunk of meat there. <laughs> and if you can't deal with spice, you're pretty white. Oh, I can't deal with spice. Here comes Faisal. Did you say that was spicy? Yeah, a spicy. Faisal, you want one? Am I? Faisal, yeah, come on in. Did you say that was spicy? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up, man. I just call it really white. I'm going to get in yeah, trouble for it, but the, if the shoe no. fits, you know what I'm saying? Dude, I just get pigment in the sun. I'm standing back. Yeah, yeah I will. I will. I just, I just, I'm, you're like. But it's really spicy mm-hmm. to me. You're red. My nose is running. What a brilliant <laughs> segue into Wednesday Night Hockey. 
Enjoy. Mm. Very good. I like this.